my sermon this morning is finding Jesus. Now I know it's only a matter of time, but from my perspective, I'm holding my breath and holding back as long as I can until my children are teenagers. Because, you know, I'm just not looking forward to that period of time. And it's only six years away, I mean, if we're looking to 13. I mean, because God knows Cameron's already acting like a teenager. I love my children so deeply and have this idea of that letting them loose in the world, free to make their own decisions, and I'm just not ready to do that yet, is my thought. Yet, that's what I'm going to have to do. So many young people joined the military at age 18. As most of you know, Tabitha and I were in the, oh, she was in the Navy, I was a Navy spouse for like six years of our beginning of our marriage. And it just works out that that ship there is the USS Shiloh, which I'm going to talk about today. That was the ship that she was stationed on. So, as a result of uh, this military stuff and our life in the military, this story that I'm going to tell you uh, hit it, kind of hit its home a little bit um, a couple months ago. Uh, in June of 2007, Petty Officer 3rd Class Peter Mims was reported missing and believed to have fallen overboard the ship, again, the USS Shiloh, while near Okinawa, Japan. Ships in the area spent 50 hours searching for the missing sailor, covering an area of around 5,500 square miles before calling off the search three days later, fearing the worst. As a memorial service was being planned, Mims, Mims was found hiding in the ship's engineering department, where he had been the entire time. Now, while finding him alive and safe was quite relieving to all those who cared about him, the military didn't think it was that funny that he ran off and he was hiding. Uh, and as, as, we're, as we speak, they're attempting, they're working towards where to go. Um, he's, being, he's been charged with abandoning watch and derelic dereliction, I think is how you yes, say the word. Dereliction of duty. And the Navy has been working, like I said, towards discharging less than honorably from military service. Now, despite the fact that, again, he, what he did was kind of wrong, I'm pretty sure that everyone who cares for this guy, his parents and stuff, were quite relieved to find out that he had not fallen overboard. Every time I go out with my kids, I watch them like a hawk. You know, and if they go out of my sight, I freak out. I start getting nervous. Like, where do my kids go? In our study today, we are going to learn about another set of parents who lost their child or misplaced their child. Of course, that set of parents was Mary and Joseph, and they misplaced God. So th that's going to be what we're going to talk about today, about why we should misplace Jesus. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I praise you and I thank you for all that you've done. Guide me as I do my best to declare your word. Allow each and every one of us to partake in your word and just take something home today. In your name, amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Last week we talked about Jesus' introduction to really the first two adults that weren't shepherds or, or, or shepherds, pretty much. And that, of course, being, the, um, being Anna and Simeon, the two godly individuals. This week, we're going to uh, jump forward 12 years into Jesus' life and uh, look at the only biblical reference to Jesus' childhood outside of his birth. And that, of course, is when he visited Jerusalem for the Passover festival when he was 12 years old. So let's get right into my text. Look at verse 39 and 40 of Luke chapter 2. So when they, meaning Mary and Joseph, had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and became and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So, Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph, after finishing everything they needed to do in Jerusalem as well as in Bethlehem, they made the way back to Nazareth, where, where they're from. Now, we do know, according to the book of Matthew, that this was not a direct trip. According to Matthew, the wise men came to visit them, after the wise men's visit, 
the, the angel of the Lord, or an angel came to, uh, to Joseph telling him, hey, don't go back, you know, you need to, you need to get out of here. Because, you know, Herod's about to do his craziness with the, with the killing of all those children, the male, male children, two years and younger. So they book out to, uh, to Egypt, they stay in Egypt for a while before finally Herod dies, and the angel tells Joseph he can go home, and that's what he does, he goes home. For whatever reason, Luke decides not to put this in his narrative, and again, there's no real uh, significance to that, other than the fact that Luke didn't think it was relevant to the story he was trying to tell. And we see that quite a bit with the Gospel writers. They're telling a story, this is their story, Luke didn't think the wise men in that whole situation was worth telling. So whatever. So, verse 40 tells us that Jesus grew both physically and mentally. And we're going to get back to that in a couple of minutes. Now look at verse 41 and 42 as we kind of focus in on the, the situation at hand with Jesus in Jerusalem at the age of 12. Verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. So, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17 says this, Three times in a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses. That place eventually, of course, was Jerusalem, at the temple there. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall bring as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. So, three times a year, the males of Israel, the men of Israel would go to Jerusalem. One of those three times, of course, was the Passover, um, which was the holiday that was directly before the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is one of the ones that Moses mentions in Deuteronomy. And that was the spring of every year. And like I said, it was the Passover would be day one, and then it would be a seven-day feast to follow. So it was eight days total that they were in Jerusalem. Now, of course, the Passover was the reminder of, of the, the last plague that the Egyptians, were, that God put upon the Egyptians. That was when the angel of the Lord passed over the houses of Israel that had blood on the doorposts and killed all the firstborn males in the area. Firstborn male animals, but more specifically, again, firstborn males of Egypt. As a result, they, they escaped. This was the holiday that God is telling them to, to celebrate. In verse 42, it tells us that this, the 12th year of Jesus' life was no different than the other years. This is what they did. And interestingly, again, it says that Mary went with them, which would probably make sense, because even though Joseph and the males were supposed to go, I would assume that Mary would have looked up and dealing with the other children, and I wouldn't, she probably wouldn't let me stay home like that or go off like that. So we all would go together. And then that's what they did. They went as a family for the Jerusalem Passover holiday. Now, as we're going to find out in a moment, Mary and Joseph lose, lose Jesus. They misplace Jesus. Meaning they again, they misplace God, and I find that very significant. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. It is my firm belief that God's love is not limited to a select group of people. It's not limited to Israelites, not limited only to a select cultural group. But it's also not limited to those that God has called for whatever purpose. God hasn't called a select group of people. God has called everybody to come to Him. It's kind of on us as to whether or not we come to Him. God wants everyone in the world to find Jesus, but unfortunately not everyone does. And that, that's kind of what we're getting at here. So many people die without finding Him. This morning we're going to study through the story of Mary and Joseph losing Jesus. 
or as we study through this, I want to talk about how all of mankind, Christians and non-Christians, can find Jesus. So, in studying through the rest of Luke chapter 2, I'm going to make three statements about how Christians and non-Christians can find Jesus. So, statement number one, don't misplace Jesus. That'd be the first step in finding him, not losing him in the first place. It is easy for Christians to misplace Jesus or for non-Christians to lose him altogether. Look at verse 34, or 43 to 45 of Luke chapter 2. Verse 43. And as they were returning, so Passover festival is over, they're returning now, Mary and Joseph. After spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. But suppose him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him according to their relatives, um, among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. So now after all the festivities are over, things are done in Jerusalem, things, the festival's done, seven days are over, the, first, the, the Passover one day, and then the next seven days, so eight days total. Mary and Joseph return along with their family and friends who were with them. And they go back to Nazareth. The Passover holiday, like I said, was day one of the celebration, and immediately followed by day seven. Uh, people of that time, as is true today, traveled together. They traveled in what we would call a caravan. The way it worked out was that the women and children would be in the front, and the men would be in the back. Now, there might be some serious significance to that. My thought is, isn't that the way life is? Us men are always walking behind our spouses. So that, that's kind of what I was thinking. But that, that's the scenario. Jesus could have been in either group. He's 12. He was essentially a grown man. So he could have been with his mother acting like a child. He could have been with, with his father acting like a man, I guess, is really the way of looking at it. As a result, I can understand how it would be very easy for mom and dad to think that he was with the other parent. And I believe that's what took place. So after traveling for a day, Mary and Joseph finally figured out that Jesus was not amongst them. They searched among them. They must have had a large group of people. They looked. He wasn't there. So... Here's the application for Christians. I, for this point, I have two applications. For Christians, don't misplace Jesus in your life. Don't misplace Jesus in your life. And I use the word misplace very carefully. Like, uh, specifically is really a good word to put it. I didn't use lost for a reason. I do not believe that a Christian can lose Jesus. We as Christians cannot lose our salvation. If you are genuinely saved, meaning you have had a genuine relationship, you started a genuine relationship with Jesus then you're not going to lose that relationship. He's not going to just say, well, you sinned, you're done. I mean, I, the story I always point out is Peter walking on water. Remember, Jesus was walking on water. Peter wants to walk on water. When Peter doubted, he started to sink. But Jesus didn't let him sink. Jesus reached and pulled him back out. The same is true of Christian people. Just because we stumble in our faith, just because we sin does not mean that we are no longer saved. This is especially uh, pointed out by Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. The Greek word used here for confident comes from, it could also mean persuaded, and is in the, what we call the perfect tense. The perfect tense is a Greek past tense, which has action that took place in the past, of which there is the action, or the, uh, the consequences, the um, I guess the, the events, the results of that action continue into the future. Meaning, Paul's confidence was not just when he wrote this, it was continued. It wasn't going to stop. Paul's confidence or persuasion of this truth is one that does not end. It does not pause when we make mistakes. The next Greek word here I want to point out, the Greek word used here for perfect, means to, could also mean to bring to an end, to accomplish, to perfect. 
to execute or to complete means to finish. The work that God begun within the Christian was salvation in Jesus Christ. If this salvation was true and genuine, meaning you had a genuine experience, meaning it's not just on the surface, it's not just because your mom and dad want you to do it. If it was a genuine salvation experience, you can be assured that you will not lose your salvation when you make mistakes and when you sin. Bottom line. Why? Because God who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. He will, you will uh, he see it through completion, and of course that completion is when you walk through the gates of heaven. That, that's kind of what I'm pointing at here. So, what I'm trying to tell you here is just because you might misplace Jesus in the thought of you've committed a sin, you're not really walking with Christ on this particular day, does not mean that you need to go back get on your knees and beg Him for salvation again. Jesus doesn't have to die over and over and over again for your sins. He died once and for all, that death is enough. It doesn't have to happen over and over again. Don't misplace Jesus in your life. Track your relationship with Him. A thought I had, a kind of an illustration I had here was the, like, you know, the relationship you might have with someone that, that, that you haven't communicated with in a while. You know, friends from high school. You know, I've been out of high school in my 33. It's been 15 years right since I've been out of high school. It's kind of crazy to think I have friends back there I haven't communicated with from that period of time. Can I really call them friends if I haven't talked to them in 15 years? That's kind of what my point is here. You can't say that you're a friend of Jesus if you haven't talked to him in the last 15 years. You need to talk to him daily. That's how a relationship works. We need to have daily communication with Christ. Christians need to keep track of Jesus in their lives. We will talk about how we do this in a couple moments. So I'm going to get into that in my next two points. Now, there's also the application of non-Christian people. Someone who does not know Jesus yet. And the application really is don't lose Jesus, find him. Find Jesus. A Christian cannot lose their salvation, but someone who does not know Jesus, someone who has, who does not have salvation in the first place, is risking their eternal lives by not finding Him. It's more than just, oh, you're not going to church. It's more than that. It's that if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. That's what it is. That's how significant it is. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This means that for those who have accepted God's free gift, we have eternal life because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. His sacrificial death on the cross is enough for our sins, is enough for us to enter the gates of heaven. But for those of us who have not accepted Jesus, for individuals who do not believe in Jesus, who do not have a relationship with Jesus, this free gift is still waiting for them. And as a result of them not accepting the gift, they have to make the payment themselves. And that payment, of course, is death. But that death is not just physical death. Yes, we're all going to die. Physical death comes with, uh, with physical life. The payment we're talking about here is spiritual death. Spiritual death comes with spiritual life. The goal is to have spiritual life. You have spiritual life in heaven when you die, when you, if you believe in Jesus. You do not have spiritual life in heaven when you die if you don't believe in Jesus. That's how simple this is. There's no way around it. On our own, we cannot make the payment. We cannot pay the penalty for our sins. It's just not possible. We are not a good enough sacrifice for the sins we committed. In the same way that the lambs and the, the rams and the different animals of the Old Testament figures sacrificed were not good enough for a permanent salvation. They had to do it every time. We could not, there's just no way on our own we can save ourselves. But with Jesus, we could save ourselves. With Jesus, our penalty has been paid and we have eternal life. But without Him, all that's left is eternal separation from God and hell. And it's blunt, but it's the truth. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now is the time to find Him. 
If one of your family members, your friends, your co-workers, your acquaintances, your neighbors, etc., do not know Jesus, now is the time to tell them. Because if you don't tell them, no one will. I mean, honestly, if, if the person who loves the most doesn't tell them about Jesus, who else is going to tell them about Jesus? Now is the time to turn your lives or point the lives of others to Christ. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And he rose from the grave to go to heaven when we die. We need to tell other people about that. We need to embrace that for our own. There might not be a tomorrow. You need to find him today. But the question is, where do we find him? And that's my second statement. Statement number two. Know where to find Jesus. Look at verse 46 and 47 now of Luke chapter 2. 46 and 47. Then after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So after three days, meaning three days from when they departed Israel, or departed Jerusalem in the first place, meaning Mary and Joseph leave, they travel for a day, they realize Jesus isn't there, they travel back, and then they spend a day looking for Jesus. Three days searching for the Christ. I mean, and searching for their son, who is God. I, I don't know. I mean, this had to be, I mean, I, I was going to say this. This is probably why Joseph died so young. is because Jesus probably wasn't as, as saintly as you might think. I mean, I'm not saying he sinned, but I'm saying he was your typical teenager. And, and that's probably why Joseph was not around when he was doing Just, I don't know. But, finally, they find the Lord. They find him right where he should have been, right in the temple of God. Jesus wasn't just hiding in the temple, like we read, or like the illustration I gave in the beginning, the sailor just hiding on the ship. Jesus was participating in conversations with the people in the temple. And let me make sure this is very clear. I mean, envision a, uh, I don't know, what is the right word to use? You know, everybody's gone, all these different people are, are, are making their journey to Israel, to Jerusalem, to the temple for the Passover feast. If anyone's going to do it, it's some of the best rabbis and teachers in the entire land. Now, these are the same individuals who are still in the temple after it's all over, communicating with the Lord, communicating with the Messiah. Yet so many of them, I'm sure, did not know who he was. In verse 47, we read that those who were in his presence were very impressed with him. They were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now look at verse 48. Let's hear about Mary and Joseph's response. When they, again meaning Mary and Joseph, saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why, are you treated, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. The astonishment that Mary and Joseph had, I think, had to be different than the amazement that the people in the temple had. That's just my thought. I'm thinking this astonishment might have involved some frustration. I mean, I'm sure that's how I would be feeling. Like, where in the world have you been for the last three days? Been searching everywhere. I mean, and, 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 and my, again, my thought would probably, wait a second, you're supposed to be God. You're supposed to listen to your parents. And again, I'm not implying that Jesus sinned by any means. I do not think that's what happened. But I, I bet you Mary and Joseph were a little frustrated. Yet, at such a young age, though, Jesus, of course, had the perfect response. So look at, their, look at his response, verse 49. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my Father's house? Where else would God go? God went home. Jesus went home. He went to his Father's house. Now, note how Jesus said he had to be there. I thought that was just an interesting thought. He had to be in his Father's house. Also note that Jesus clearly understood his position in all of this. He knew that he was God's son. So at 12 years old, Jesus was ready to roll, is my thought. So what does this mean for us? 
we can find Jesus in three different places today. We can find Jesus in three different places today. First of all, in the church. And it's a capital C, not a little c. Mary and Joseph found Jesus in his father's house in the temple. Now, in theory, people should be able to find Jesus in this building. But this building isn't where you find Jesus. You find Jesus in the Christians that make up this building. The, the church, the, the all of Christianity type thing. That's where you find Jesus. Christians within a local church need to put Christ on display through the words and their actions so that those searching for Jesus, either for the first time or trying to return to Christ, will be able to find Him. I mean, imagine someone looking, searching, having a desire to find God, entering a church that all that's taking place is arguments and, and, and bickering. You're not going to find Jesus there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22 says this, so then, when, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place, a dwelling of God in the Spirit. I mean, do other people see God in you? That's really the point. God the Spirit lives in you. God, remember, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, tell us that we are indwelled by the Spirit when we are saved. Meaning, God lives in you. Do other people see the God who lives in you? And that would be, of course, my prayer for you, that you, they, they do. Those searching for Jesus will find Him if you show them to Him. The second place that you can find Jesus is in His Word. Oh, Find Him in His Word. The Bible makes up the words of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you are searching for God, one great place to find Him is in His Word. You find out all sorts of stuff about Him in the Bible, in His Word. You will find Him there. Number three, the third place we find Jesus is through prayer. Through prayer. The Bible is how we listen to God, but, the, but prayer is how you communicate back to Him. So you listen to God by reading your Bible, you talk to God through praying to Him. Psalm 34, verse 15 to 18. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and, the, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You can talk to God through prayer. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 12, Jesus says this. And this kind of summarizes the whole finding Jesus thing. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and all and one, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law of the prophets. You can find Jesus through His church, through His word, 
and through prayer. Bottom line. So if you're looking for Jesus today, even if you're, again, you might be saved, I'm not saying you're not, but if you're struggling, you're struggling through some sort of a hardship, you can talk to Jesus through prayer. You can listen to Him through His Word, and you can, be, you can have fellowship with Him through His church. Statement number three. We need to grow in your faith, in your relationship with Jesus. Grow in your relationship with Jesus. Another way we find Him is by staying firm. You don't misplace Jesus if you're growing in your faith with Him. Look at verse 50 to 52. Uh, we'll end up our text here. So after Jesus made that statement, uh, verse 50 says, But they did not understand the statement which He had made to them. And He went down with them and came to Nazareth, and He continued in subjection to them, and His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men. So Mary and Joseph did not get what He said. They did not understand it for whatever purpose. Yet Jesus obeyed them like you're supposed to. You're supposed to obey a parent. He obeyed them, and He was subject to them, and He returned to Nazareth with them, and they made, you know, he, after the, well, the eight-day vacation with the, the to-and-from type stuff... I thought, again, it's interesting looking at verse uh, what go, verse 51, the end of it, his mother treasured these things. Very similar terminology to earlier in Luke chapter 2 when she treasured the things that the shepherds told her. Now, one interesting thought, and this is something one of my commentaries said, I never really thought about it. Luke is very, I don't know how you describe Luke, he was very detail-orientated. He searched for the information, he got good resources. And honestly, what better resource, I mean, outside of maybe Jesus... But in reality, the best resource Luke could have to get all this information about the early time of Jesus' life was Mary. And they never really thought about that Luke might have communicated with Mary. Again, she was alive after Jesus went to heaven, after his death when he was ascended to heaven. It's very likely that Mary was still alive when Luke wrote her, his gospel, or, or someone close to Mary um, was there, and Luke was able to get direct information from them. So Jesus' earthly ministry didn't begin for another 18 years. Now, while we can only make assumptions, the one thought I had was that it's probably very likely that Joseph died not too long after this. Jesus stuck at home and took care of his mother for a period of time before his younger siblings grew to a proper age. And, and that's just my thought. And again, it's only assumptions. We don't know. Now, uh, let's see. Jesus' growth did not end when he was 12, even though it seemed very clear that his, uh, he was very ready to go. I mean, God, God had prepared him. He, at 12 years old, he understood his calling. Um, as it says in Luke, he says uh, he continued in wisdom and stature and in favor with the Lord and with God and men. The Greek word for wisdom comes from the noun Sophia and has the meaning of broad and full of intelligence used of the knowledge of very diverse matters. So Jesus had a very good education from the earth. Mentally, he was, he was growing. The Greek word used here for stature comes from the noun Halikia, Halikia which means age or, or time of life, meaning physical growth. So Jesus grew in, in mentality, in his understanding, he grew physically. But then it says that he also grew, where did it go, let me make sure I say it right, grew in favor with God and men. So the Greek word used here for favor literally means in grace. So it's the same Greek word we use for grace. Jesus' learning and physical growth had brought him closer to God and the rest of humanity. Thus, Jesus grew physically, mentally, and spiritually. It's kind of what I wanted to point out. So, what does this mean for us? What's the application here? One way that you can make sure that you do not misplace Jesus is by growing in Him. 
Right? I mean, the only way I'm going to stay married to my wife is if I continue to have a good relationship with my wife. You know, and really, you can look at the, the three big three I always point out, right? I mean, if I don't communicate with my wife, I don't listen to my wife, and if I don't fellowship with my wife, I'm not going to have much of a marriage. The same is true of our relationship with God. We grow by doing those three things. We grow by talking to Him through prayer. First John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. God hears you. All you got to do is talk to Him in your times of distress, in your times of need. We also listen to Him, meaning through the Bible. We've got to read the Bible. If you're not reading the Bible, you're missing out so much. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, All Scripture is inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating on the Bible is good for you. If you went to the doctor, because you have some sort of ailment, and you go to the doctor, and the doctor prescribes you medicine, yet you take that prescription and you throw it away. What good is that prescription? What good is that doctor? What good is that medicine? It's useless. In the same way your pastor is telling you, he's, I'm prescribing you the Word of God for whatever spiritual illness you have, whether it's a frustration, a hardship, or whether it's a sinful situation, it doesn't matter. The question is, are you going to take your medicine? Then number three, the third, again, way that we, um, that we can grow in our faith, of course, is through the church. You need to be involved in church. If you're not involved in church, you're missing out tremendously. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Lord can return at any moment. That's really what the point of this verse is. He can return right now, and I believe that everything scripturally has been fulfilled for Jesus' second coming. Nothing's there. There's nothing left to do. It's, uh, he's ready to come whenever his time has arrived. It is for this reason that Christians need to come together for each other's benefits, as it said in Hebrews chapter 10, so we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. When Christians gather together, we help each other when we are in need, and we also help each other grow in our faith. It is not possible to have the full effect of this without being actively involved in a local church. And I'm not specifically saying this local church or even a building that looks like this. But if you're not gathering together with fellow Christian people on a weekly basis, multiple times a week, you're missing out and your, your faith is being hindered. If you grow closer to Christ, you will never misplace Him when you get discouraged because he will, always, he will always be nearby through prayer, through the Bible, and through your fellow Christians. And as a result, you'll be growing in him. Let me close up. So are you searching for Jesus today? Like I said, it doesn't have to be salvation. Maybe it is. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never had that relationship with him, and you realize now that you have a need for him. Or maybe that you, you made that commitment in your past. But your walk with God has been hindered. Your walk with God is not straight anymore. You're, you're, you're moving left and right. And you're no longer walking with Him. You're not, you haven't lost your salvation. But it's time to straighten things out. And turn your life over to Him again. Or maybe you're just struggling through a difficult time or hardship. And you need to cry out to Him. Don't hesitate. Cry out to Jesus today.
This is the hope that we have. We have this hope in Christ no matter what the situation. One of my absolute favorite verses, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This, of course, is Jesus speaking. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Turn your life exclusively over to Jesus. That's the bottom line. In doing that, your burden, your yoke will be lessened because there will be help in carrying your load. And that help, of course, comes from Christ. So whatever you have going on, whatever addictions you face, whatever sins you have, whatever hardships or struggles you're going through, turn it to Christ in prayer. Read His Word in fellowship with His fellow Christians, with your fellow Christians, and you will be able to overcome. Let me close in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you now for the chance you've given us to gather in your name. I ask that you help us learn from the story of Jesus going to Nazareth and going to Jerusalem at age 12. I ask that you help us recognize how we can find you no matter what's going on, Lord. How we can search for you and find you, Lord. I thank you, Father, for all that you've done for us. I thank you for the blessings you've brought upon us, Lord. And I know that you hear our requests. You hear our cries when we cry to you, Lord. So, Father, if there is anyone here who's in a state of, of need, whether it's for salvation or for a recommitment to you or just because of some sort of stress that's taken place in your life, Lord, I ask that these people reach out to you and cry out to you and tell you what's going on and allow you to know that you are there for them. Father, I praise you and I thank you. I thank you, Lord, and I praise your name and your wonderful name. Amen.